Good morning. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Vivian and I'm a student minister here. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. It's a pretty profound statement, isn't it? I shall not want. I lack nothing. We live in a society, a culture of wanting. We want, want, want. Uh, as we come into this season of Christmas, it's also in our family uh, season of birthdays for our boys. So December birthday and January birthdays. And so I'm very informed of the wants of my children. <laughs> uh, and maybe you've already started thinking about what you might like for Christmas. Um, but we live in a culture of want, don't we? With most people living as if they're never fully satisfied and never fully fulfilled. <laughs> we want the latest phone or smartwatch or technological thingy. Uh, we want to update our wardrobe and feel a little bit more fashionable and beautiful. Maybe we want more or newer camping gear or a caravan or camper van to make our holidays that much nicer. Or if you're not into camping, maybe you want that next resort-style holiday or cruise. Or we want more adventure gear, a better bike or a kayak or a jet ski, just whatever it is that can make our lives a bit more enjoyable and uh, allow us to have a bit more ex uh, adventure and excitement in our life. Or some of us might really want to buy our own home. These are all connected to the deeper longings and needs inside of us. The need to feel secure and comfortable. The need for adventure and purpose. The need for peace. The need to feel loved or accepted. And there are other types of spiritual wants as well, aren't there? Like wanting to be free from our addiction or free from the shame of our past and present sins. Or wanting so desperately to no longer feel lonely, but to be accepted in a community, in a community that will love you rightly and not abusively. Like wanting to be delivered from the secret sins of our hearts that lie oh so close beneath the surface, like lust, envy, pride and anger. Or what about wanting to be delivered from our disordered loves and disordered thoughts and emotions that try to dictate our personality and the direction of our lives. Or the want to be free from the captivity of fear, fear of failure, fear of disapproval or rejection, fear of having nothing or having no one. Or our want of healing, to feel healed from previous hurts, to finally be released from the pain of the past, to finally experience restoration or the want to feel like we're finally thriving in life experiencing a life that's flourishing with healthy and strong relationships where we feel full of purpose and fulfillment every day so think about it for a minute can you honestly say right now I lack nothing I shall not want I reckon most of us here, including myself, are finding it really hard to be able to say this with full integrity. So how can this psalm declare it so confidently? Well, I want to suggest this morning that 
when we know the Good Shepherd, it is possible to say with integrity, I lack nothing. When we know the Good Shepherd, we shall not want. Even when life is far from perfect, even when life sucks, as Andrew said a few weeks ago, we can live in a state of spiritual contentedness, in a state of not wanting, spiritually, emotionally, mentally and physically. We can live in a state of peace or shalom because we know our good shepherd. The first reason for this is because our good shepherd is also our creator. He created us and therefore affords us the dignity of being the special particular object of his affection and attention. Maybe you don't connect as much with the image of being like a sheep cared for by a shepherd. That might be too culturally distant for you. Aussies might better relate to the image of a horse or a dog instead of a sheep. And I really like these pictures. Um, But the idea it conveys is the same. We are creatures with dignity who hold a special place in God's heart. This psalm is a song of praise that knows the limits of our own creatureliness, of our own humanity, yet also our limitless dignity before our creator. Let me say that again. This psalm is a song of praise that knows the limits of our own humanity, yet that knows our limitless dignity before our creator. We know that this is a psalm of David, King David. And as Andrew explained last week, David had some really rough patches in his life and he had to deal with the reality of his own fallenness and the fallenness of those around him. Feeling in threat of men, trying to usurp him and take his throne, as well as feeling the threat from enemies further afield. And so even as a king, he knew his limits and his absolute dependence on his shepherd king. Yet his dependence wasn't like a fearful dependence, but a dependence grounded in his certainty, his trust in his dignity in the eyes of his creator. And as Andrew explained last week, there are psalms considered as reorientation psalms, songs which reorient our minds to heavenly realities in the midst of circumstances that seem quite contrary to those realities. And so here in Psalm 23, these words reorient us to the heavenly reality of our dignity before God, such that we know that no matter the circumstances, we shall not want. And this is key, I think, for understanding this psalm. We are dignified creatures created by the creator who affords us alone as humans the very image of himself, creating us as image bearers of God. Nothing else he created, not even the most brilliant, extraordinary star or even the combination of all the glories in the universe compared to the incredible dignity of our humanity, of your humanity. Do you know that? Do you believe that about yourself? You see, the things of this world will forever try to rob you of your dignity, won't they? 
Consumerism treats you like a mindless, unethical consumer, supplying the demand for goods and services which powerful multinationals try to tell you that you need. Secularism treats you like you're a soulless being, denying the spiritual reality and the spiritual potency or power of your existence. Workplaces can treat you like a dispensable cog in the big machine. Bad relationships rob you of your sense of identity. And of course, our own sin displaces our dignity with shame and guilt and a lesser self. Nothing in this world affords us the kind of dignity that God alone gives. Only that which is of God, only that which comes from the shepherd's hands, nourishes and nurtures our dignity and enables life to flourish in such a way that we can say, I shall not want. And this links to my second point, that Psalm 23 is essentially a prayer of faith, claiming for oneself God's design for life as he intended, for peace, for shalom. And shalom is more than um, an understanding of um, peace, but it's deeper than that. It's a life of wholeness, of harmony, of justice and righteousness, a life of full flourishing. When we know that our good shepherd affords us not only such wonderful dignity, but desires that our lives flourish, then really we shall not want So let's look a bit more closely at these verses in this psalm to see the kind of life that the shepherd desires for his people. First up, right after the profound declaration of faith in verse 1 is this. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. Isn't it interesting that the first description of the kind of life intended for us is one of rest and restoration? Our good shepherd, the one who created us, understands our need for rest. And in Psalm 23, this deep human need is front and centre because rest is the cornerstone of a healthy relationship. I mean, sorry, a healthy lifestyle. Without rest, we can't thrive. But this psalm isn't just talking about physical rest, but spiritual restoration. When we allow God to slow our lives down, slow them down enough so that we can rest. Something profound begins to happen in our souls, doesn't it? A good shepherd restores us. He affords us the dignity of making all the mess and the disorder and the chaos within us right. He affords us the dignity of deep spiritual soul healing, restoring what is broken within us to wholeness. So the invitation to you in this psalm is to claim this restoration as a reality, to pray for it, to receive it. Verse 3, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Paths of righteousness means living in alignment with God's righteousness, reflecting his goodness, his rightness in all that we do. Our shepherd directs us towards what is right and good and life-giving and away from all that is evil and wrong and soul-destroying. And when we look to and depend on our Good Shepherd as creatures who depend on him for life, we are happy to let our lives be for his namesake and not for ours. 
we recognise that we're not the centre of life, but he deservedly and rightly is. We are secure in the dignified place we have before God and then realise that our fulfilment is only in the glory and the praise and the honour of him, that our flourishing in life is in living in orientation to his glorification. I'll say that again. Our flourishing is in living in orientation to his glorification. Verse 4, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. These verses speak of our shepherd giving us the dignity of his comfort. And this is where we know that this psalm isn't just a song about some ideal state that's unobtainable. It's grounded in the very real reality of hardship and suffering and pain. There have been really significant seasons in my life where this verse has pretty much gotten me through. When I was working in child protection in London, I experienced some really rough stuff. I quickly learnt the sad um, and horrible realities that families do actually do terrible things to each other and to their children. But I also quickly learnt that social workers are typically seen as the enemy, both in the eyes of parents and in the eyes of children who have been removed from their families for their own safety. And in this role, I felt like I just was living in constant fear, fear of going to housing estates alone to do assessments of people I hadn't met before, fear of saying the wrong thing to a traumatised child and their parents, fear of making the wrong decisions that will have lifelong ramifications for those kids. And I even had death threats from a parent at one stage. And throughout this whole season of my life, I held on so tightly to the the words of this verse. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The comfort and strength that God gave me as I claimed the truth of this verse was something that I absolutely depended on. I knew that my Human capacities, my intelligence, my qualifications and training was not enough. I knew my limitations as one human being, feeling like I was coming up against the full force of the world's evil. But as as I prayed this verse daily and even multiple times a day, what became clear to me was that I didn't need to fear any evil because my shepherd doesn't fear evil. And this verse reassures us that even in suffering, our shepherd gives us the dignity of his comfort as he makes his presence known to us in those dark moments. And it goes on in verse 5 that not only does he promise his comforting presence, but also our honour and dignity before our enemies, our vindication before those who want to hurt us. Those who look to their shepherd in the midst of struggle and suffering and persecution will not be abandoned by a scared or a weak shepherd. Jesus said in John 10 verses 12 to 13, he said, The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. But, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. 
Uh, we recently watched the latest Tarzan movie. Who's, hands up, have you seen it? Oh, there's a couple. Okay, you really, yeah, go, you should see it, it's good. Um, and I reckon that Tarzan is, oh, here, I've got a picture. Um, <laughs> yeah. I reckon that Tarzan is a close analogy to the kind of shepherd that Jesus is describing here. He's a strong, fearless leader who will do anything to protect his tribe and his family. And we often forget that shepherds in David's era had to contend with wild beasts to protect their sheep. They weren't just little wimpy teenagers who couldn't handle themselves. They were strong and courageous. And instead of abandoning us when it gets tough, Jesus says that he gets right in there and fights for us. How? By laying down his very life for us. Jesus said in John 10, 11, the verse before what we had before, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. And we know that this is true because of Jesus' death on the cross. Jesus took on all evil to ensure our protection and welfare so that we don't have to fear evil anymore. But more than not living in fear, Jesus, our good shepherd, laid down his life so that we could live life to the full. You see, in this same context of telling us about how he's not a weak, hired shepherd, but a good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep, he says in verse 10, the thief comes only to steal, kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Friends, your good shepherd afforded you the dignity of dying on your behalf so that you no longer have to live in fear or live under the power of evil which seeks to destroy and kill and rob your soul so that you can flourish. You see, Jesus, our good shepherd, your good shepherd, is intimately committed to the best for your life. True human flourishing is only possible in relationship with the true good shepherd. This psalm in verse 5 goes on to describe God anointing our head with oil and our cup overflowing. I see this as God affording us the dignity of anointing us for a purpose, setting us apart to join with a cause much greater than ourselves, which leads us to a life overflowing with blessing. And this blessing is seen in verse 6. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. Those who look to their shepherd in dependence on him for their life find that they leave a trail of transformation behind them. Like the fruits of the spirit, which we read about in Galatians, here we see the fruits of goodness and love flowing out of our lives. And I find it interesting that it doesn't describe goodness and love following the shepherd, but following us. And this makes sense because he anoints us and restores us to bear his image in increasing glory. His goodness and love become restored in us and overflow from us. You see, our shepherd wants to give us lives that make a real difference, that have an impact, that cause transformation in the lives around us. And finally, as we look at this psalm, I want us to notice that it's the shepherd who's the active agent. He makes me lie down. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. 
what we see here as our activity is to depend, to trust and have faith. I shall not want. I will fear no evil. And this trust is tethered to our sense of ultimate belonging and satisfaction, which we see in the last line of this psalm. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Ultimately, David can say, I shall not want, because he is satisfied in the presence of his Lord. He knows his dwelling place, his home, is with the very source of life itself. Because the presence of God displaces all other needs and wants. Do you see this incredibly dignified life that our shepherd God wants to give us? When we know, when we depend, when we trust our good shepherd, indeed, we shall not want. And as I close, the question before us this morning is the question I asked you earlier. Can you honestly say, I shall not want? Are you satisfied and content in God? Are you claiming the heavenly reality of your dignity before your God? Are you claiming the fullness of life that your shepherd is holding out for you and longing to give you in whatever circumstances you're going through? Because it's when we grasp this heavenly reality of our dignity that we can experience peace and claim fullness of life from the hand of our shepherd God. We're going to take some time to just reflect and pray um, in silence uh, as this song, as the next song um, is played. Um, there's words that will come on the screen. I just want to encourage you to just continue to reflect on what the Spirit is saying to you through these powerful and beautiful words. And we'll have uh, a time after that song to respond. If you feel um, that you need to receive prayer, there will be that opportunity to do that. So let's have a listen.